Lukla, your curiosity will get the best of you yet. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing the NDE. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my Borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable AMs. Hello, my name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and this is Keep Off the Borderlands. Now, prior to RPG A Day Month, I did an episode based off the back of the last Purple Worm episode, God Rest Its Soul, and where they touched on the subject of immersion. It also ties in with the Frankenstein's Monster episode from Safer Fantasy Crafting, along with a few episodes of Roleplay Rescue, where Che Webster interviews Daniel Jones. Che sent me a few messages relating to that episode where I spoke about immersion, which I wanted to share here because I've been sitting on them far too long. Take it away, Che. Hey Spencer, it's Che. I just wanted to uh, thanks for your episode. Really, on I think it's called Purple Worm Rider, the one you were talking about. Uh, various things with uh, Dave Aldridge and uh, Safer, and some comment on Otherworld Immersion. And it struck me that you keep conflating, you keep using the word immersion uh, and conflating. <laughs> I think Daniel's point is that the Otherworld Immersion is one specific kind of type of immersion. Um, character immersion might be another, combat immersion might be another, uh, you know, the narrative immersion is another. There's so many different ways of becoming immersed. And as you say, a Sizamayahu's theory of flow applies, you know, in our games when we get really into whatever it is we're doing. And Ron Edwards' theory also applies because what he talks about is that in any single moment, one of those foci is foremost. And my point is that that foci moves around and that's normal. So for me, the question is, what is it that you want? And I think the problem I've had for many, many years and why I'm so passionate about this is because I've spent many years without a goal. My goal has been that nebulous thing of turn up and play and have fun at the table, which I'll tell you now, with 40 years of games that don't last and games that don't feel satisfying and more games that miss than hit, anything that helps me to get a hit, you know, is going to be something I want to look at. And I'll tell you now, if you're not looking at the target, you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what that hit looks like. Then you're doomed to miss, I think. Uh, sheer, Sheer luck is the only thing that's going to get you there. So for me, Knowing that you want more of something in your game means you have to build that into your game and you have to design for it. And that's where you know, the whole design theory stuff is really helpful to me because I feel like I can move in the direction of that goal. So with Safer's comments about like, you know, can I just have a bit of everything? Of course you can. Um, absolutely you can. But I find, you know, there are certain things that um, engage me and some things that don't. So, for example, the focus on the narrative is not something that particularly engages me. Uh, and therefore, it's not natural for me to go there. So if I want to go there, I'm going to have to plan for it. I'm going to have to direct, um, 
you know, it that way, which is an ironic phrase, isn't it? Um, but I'm going to have to become a director and go in that direction and, um, and move things in that direction. And that doesn't come naturally to me. So if, you know, if I don't plan for it, it won't happen. If someone wants that in the game, I need to know. Um, when it comes to sort of the sense of uh, fantasy and you know, other world immersion is a real extreme of that, I think. Um, I like that and I enjoy that. Um, but I do feel that you need to plan for it and you need to move in that direction. You need to have more scenes that allow for it than don't if you want to have that sense of verisimilitude. And that kind of brings me to where I'm at now because I, I really also enjoy tactical combat and all of that sort of stuff. And I think you have to make space for that in your game, but your players need to know that that's something that's going to be in your game or something that isn't. Um, and again, if you don't tell players what to expect and what you're driving for, again, you have no goal and they have no idea, then everyone's just flailing around. And I'll, I'll tell you, my experience tells me that, that won't be satisfying. I think when um, a, pl a player or the DM is very focused, even if they don't really consciously know that, um, I think that actually becomes really obvious and drives into things in a certain direction. You know, Dave's and you know heading in that narrative story now direction. He knows what he wants, Dave Aldridge, and you know he gets that all the time. That's why he goes for those indie OSR games, right? But um, I think just know what you want. That's just the starting point. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm a burble too long. Game on, man. Thank you for the show. Che Webster from Roleplay Rescue. There, thank you very much for those messages, Che. I really appreciate the feedback. Um, I did go back and listen to the episode and uh, while I, yeah, I take your point that I was possibly conflating other world immersion with different types of immersion, but I guess in my mind I was kind of talking about different things, you know, switching between the two. That possibly wasn't quite so clear because it was me just thinking out loud and trying to work this stuff out. I mean, one of the things with immersion, speaking more generally, it is quite a sort of a nebulous, amorphous thing, which is why I think people are, uh, I've noticed people are more inclined to talk about engagement rather than immersion, because that seems to me to be something that's a, a lot easier to control in terms of game design you can you know bake in to the rules where you want the attention to be drawn you know Ron Edwards design theory is obviously very much about that it's highlighting what you want to be the focus of the game and making sure that that comes through to the players promoting where it wishes players to engage to me immersion is a step beyond that in the sense that it's going on in the player's head and other than create an environment that facilitates immersion, you can't make it happen. I think that's what I was trying to wrestle with. Um, I guess I, uh, what kind of got me thinking about that was playing in Arlen Walker's Sword and Scoundrel sessions. These, um, It's a game very much a uh, narrativist. I think I could safely say it's a story now game. You know, it's asking you to engage with the game in a very different kind of way. And there's a lot of meta stuff going on there. I'd say it's probably like a maybe 40-60 split between 
discussing what your intentions are before you go into a scene and actually playing out that scene. And when I was talking about immersion there, maybe it wasn't other world immersion, but for me, I was doing that thing that safer fantasy crafting was referring to, where this kind of granular combat, I wasn't necessarily immersing myself in the tactics. I was kind of immersed in the actions of the character, in the consequences of what he was doing, particularly the fact that I sliced through the opponent's stomach, instantly felt remorse and ended up patching the guy up. And that was just a little skirmish thing that we did to test the combat rules. And I felt that, you know, I was experienced what it was to be that character in that situation, in that world, I guess. So maybe that's where I was conflating the other world immersion sense of what was going on for me. It was that kind of level of engagement in the fiction of what was occurring there, I guess, if that makes things any clearer whatsoever. And I just wanted to touch on um, that point about Dave and the idea that he's a story now guy. Um, I think my conclusion from that Purple Worm episode was that Dave, in describing OSR as a genre, suggested that that's a narrativist type of game. But it isn't. It's, it's obviously, it's according to GNS theory, it's simulationist. You're simulating a genre which is a conclusion that makes much more sense to me as a player. You know, these games being very sandboxy, very much about exploring the environment. So, uh, yeah, I think I um, I didn't quite get that on my first listen. But Dave is a right-to-dream guy, I think. And if you're out there, Dave, and you feel like chiming in, please do, because there's a good chance I'm talking complete bobbins. Thanks very much, Che. I don't know if that's a satisfying response or not, but it certainly helped me gabble on a little bit longer. I do feel a bit that um, engaging with all this rules theory stuff, I am perhaps getting a little bit out of my depth, but I do enjoy talking about it, and I don't necessarily agree with the fact that it gets in the way of me enjoying play because... To a certain extent, they're different activities. I think I've said as much before. And I can see this stuff is very, obviously very important to you, Che, being a GM at heart, I guess, primarily. Um, this idea of clearly defining goals and trying to create the right experience for players and for yourself. And this sense of not getting what you want I guess, speaking personally, I've been very satisfied with my experiences as a player and um, I'm very willing to play in games of, of different styles that take different approaches. And, um, you know, fortunately, it's all been good for me so far. I guess the only time I feel that the way I am as a player clashes with a game has been with ICRPG, oddly enough. 
I say oddly because, I mean, I really like that game and I love what Hankering for an Ale does. I mean, I was just reading through that, um, the new Quick Start Guide for ICRPG and the energy in his writing there, the enthusiasm, it makes you want to get playing as soon as possible and his enthusiasm just really comes through there. But looking at those rules, it's a bit like seeing how a magic trick is done rather than enjoying the trick in itself. I can see how it's great for a GM, but as a player, for me personally, I feel I'm seeing a little too much of what's going on behind the curtain, if that makes any sense. And that leads quite nicely into a couple of messages regarding engagement from Colin Spike-Pitt-Green. I just wanted to comment on something you said recently, Spencer, about playing, I forget the name of the game, but you played with Ireland. It's a crunchy system, very uh, dialed into combat, loads of detail. And, and you was worried that it might sort of break you out of immersion in your character and you found it to be the opposite I've definitely experienced that not so much in combat but playing the one ring the mechanisms of the game are what I would call quite crunchy you're very aware of the the system when you're playing but because it works so well to model what it's trying to uh, um, represent it, it just really draws you in. And I think that that kind of perhaps doesn't get talked about. I think it all comes down at the end of the day to how your imagination works. We, we hear from people that are pulled out of immersion, as we refer to it, by combats. Others are pulled in. So I've, I think if you're getting into the realms of working on designing games and running games that's got to be right up there in your thinking if you go totally one way or the other then i think you need to be prepared to gear up your group appropriately you're gonna need to sort of fit your group to your game this is not news i appreciate Hearing you talk about it just kind of galvanised my thoughts a little bit there, I think. Thanks for those messages, Colin. Uh, glad to be of assistance, if if that is the case. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point there that certainly made sense to me, although it seems to run counter to what I just said about ICRPG. Um, The thing is with Sword and Scoundrel is, yeah, it's very detailed regarding combat. It's also a lot of rules uh, around its narrativist nature regarding character drives, character flaws, and things you're awarded for at the end of each scene. Uh, But I found that, yeah, all very engaging and certainly helped to add to the feel of the game that we're playing. And with regards to 
what I just said about ICRPG and feeling like I'm seeing too much of the gamey elements. I guess what I'm thinking there, I've also got in mind the way Dave Aldridge runs games. And I know in the Purple Worm, there was a really interesting discussion about how to make combat interesting by having trigger events, having countdowns and stuff like that. With being able to see the dice counting down in ICRPG and knowing that that's counting down to another wave of events makes me feel like I'm playing a game. I'm fully aware that Dave might very well be using very similar techniques, but they are not player-facing. We're not aware that in so many rounds something is going to happen and... I think there's a lot to be said for that being in the GM's hands and not being on display, as it were. I think I feel the same way about the idea of the the challenge rating and everything within that particular area that you're in is of a particular difficulty. Now, I know that to a certain extent, that's exactly the same as how the levels of dungeons are handled in D&D. The level of the dungeon denotes the difficulty of the things you're going to encounter, as far as I understand it. But that's not something that's in my mind while I'm playing. Whereas in ICRPG, all that stuff is very much upfront, And I just feel that it takes away something from immersing in the fiction of the game. I'm perfectly aware that may not be a problem for anybody else. (laughs) Anyway, I've waffled on far too long already. I'm aware I've had some other messages which I will address in the upcoming episode, I promise. I really appreciate all those call-ins. I just wanted to get this particular episode out of the way because I feel like it's been hanging over me. And uh, yeah, I want to move on. There you go. Done and dusted. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description you can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com there's a facebook page for keep off the borderlands you can find me on twitter and mewe on the audio dungeon discord and various other places on discord as free thrall i'd also like to thank tj drennan for the wonderful music he provides And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.
Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.